0: Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Off the Bench. My name is Heidi St. John, and I'm glad that you've joined me here at the intersection of faith and culture. Recently, I told you that we've been making some changes here to the podcast. After we passed 32 million downloads, we decided we were gonna extend the podcasts a little bit and take them from five days a week to three days a week. One of the changes that we're making is that I'm inviting pastors to come on the show regularly with me. And the first person I called was my friend, Pastor Phil Hopper. Phil Hopper, many of you know him, I've had him on the show before, is the senior pastor at Abundant Life Church in Lee Summit, Missouri, one of my favorite places to go worship when I am out in that neck of the woods. And he's joined me today to answer listener questions about theology and about culture. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to submit your questions. We're going to talk about how you can do that at the end of the show. I can't wait for you guys to engage with Pastor Phil. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. I want to remind you my women's conference is coming right up here in Vancouver, Washington. Shine is a theme for this year. We're going to be teaching you what it looks like to be a light for Christ in a dark world. You know, people keep talking about the culture what a mess we're in. And listen, you guys, the the world might be in crisis, but God's people don't need to be. Jesus has given us everything that we need to know through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons why uh, I love talking theology here at the show. And just talking about how God's word is relevant to the issues that we're dealing with in the culture right now. And there's no one better suited to talk about this with me than my friend, Pastor Phil Hopper. And I've invited him to join me. I'm so glad he's here. Pastor Phil, welcome back.
1: Heidi, it is always a joy. I'm so thankful I get to do this with you. Uh, Two things I love talking about are the same two things you love talking about. We love talking about the word of God and the truth of God's Word, and how it intersects modern culture today in a modern age of Christianity. So it's a joy. Thank you again for the opportunity.
0: Well, I'm so excited. And, we're, and you're coming on regularly now, so uh, so people can submit questions to you, and you'll be back on the show to be answering those questions. So thank you. I know you're really busy. You guys have a really thriving ministry there. Tell us a little bit about Abundant Life.
1: It is. It's very exciting days, guys. I'm telling you, for all the bad news you hear and all the decline of Christianity and churches are closing, I'm telling you, there's so much good news in the middle of the bad news. In fact, I'm convinced in some way we're experiencing another Jesus revolution, like the one you read about from the late 60s, early 70s, in the middle of the sexual revolution. There was a spiritual revolution going on of the youngest generation, a move of God. And uh, it really changed the 70s, a whole decade. And many of the great Christian leaders today that are kind of in the twilight, uh, mm. where young young people then in their teens and 20s came to faith. And so we're seeing in some way a similar move of God with the Gen Zs and the young millennials um, really pursuing the Lord. First generation Christians in our church. I mean, people that weren't raised at all in Christianity. Or in the church, and they're coming to faith. So these days are exciting. We're launching new campuses in our city and new churches around our country, and so uh, be encouraged, guys. It's all bad news. It's not. It's 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 a yeah. lot of good news. God is moving still.
0: Yeah, He is, and I think part of what you're seeing, we're seeing here, right at Firmly Planted and in the Homeschool Resource Center, people who even just a few years ago would never have considered taking their children out of a government school or coming and saying, okay. Something's wrong. Something's wrong, and that's what this younger generation is asking. Right? They're 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 starting to say, "Okay, we've tried this. We've tried that. It's not working. Tell us a little bit about this Jesus who you say changes lives."
1: Yeah, and as somebody I know really well likes to say, "There, people are getting off the bench and onto the battlefield." <laughs> I mean, seriously, we're seeing something in our church even since COVID. I, I like to think our church has always been. Philadelphian in a Laodicean mm-hmm. age. Like, we, we don't want to be a Laodicean church by any stretch. But something even new since coming back from COVID, where there's a sifting. Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares, the separation of the counterfeit, those who simply profess Christ or those who truly mm-hmm. possess Christ. Well, I'm watching people emerge, people that might have had one foot in at one time, man. They're all in now. Yeah. And uh, they are really taking the mantle of the gospel. And living missionally, becoming very vocal, uh, no longer a closet Christian, let's say, mm-hmm. but really living it and taking it to the workplace, where they go to school. Uh, and so, these are exciting days, Heidi.
0: Yeah, they they really are. All right, I'm going to jump in. We're gonna we're gonna go all over the place today. Uh, Phil and I were talking about this a little bit before the the podcast uh, started to record. And I said, listen, I'm going to let you just follow the Holy Spirit. If you guys have never listened to Phil Hopper, you really need to. Uh, I try and listen as often as I can, even though I live in Washington state, they broadcast those services. And so you guys can check it out. And I'm going to link back to him in the show notes today, just one of the most gifted expositors of the word. And I'm not trying to, to uh, butter you up because I know you're going to do a great job answering these questions, but I just want people to know I have a lot of confidence in in your knowledge of the word and your ability to communicate it. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say on a variety of subjects. We're going to start with an anonymous listener in Massachusetts. And she says, Heidi, my church is in the process of hiring a woman pastor. We are, or at least we say we are, a Bible-believing church. Can we say this and still hire a woman pastor? This is starting to cause division in our church.
1: Yeah. This is uh, probably one of the number one things the modern church is navigating and Christians trying to figure out what does the Bible teach about this. So there are certain things that are purely cultural and scriptural. There are other things that are doctrinal, theological. Those that are cultural are not timeless. Uh, It's a cultural issue that changes from one generation to the next, one culture to the next. Uh, When the Apostle Paul told the Romans to greet each other with a holy kiss, that's not theological. (laughs) All <laughs> right. If we greet each other with a holy hug, as opposed to a holy kiss, I would say that's purely cultural. And in our culture, it would be far better uh, for uh, me to greet Heidi with a holy hug than a holy kiss. We all agree on that, right? <laughs> clearly, some things are cultural, not theological. So the debate comes from, well, when Paul wrote, let's say, 1 Timothy 3, and he gives us the qualifications of a pastor, and clearly he's writing this to men. You must be the husband of one wife. Is that a doctrinal issue, meaning only men can be pastors for all time, forever? Or was that merely a cultural issue, meaning that can change from one culture to the next? Well, I think, honestly, if we don't impose uh, our own predisposition on the text, if we don't impose our own cultural bias on the text, the Bible is always a self-defining book, self-interpreting. And so, uh, in this case, I don't believe this is a cultural issue at all, Heidi. I do believe it's a theological issue, that Paul is very specific for every church, for all generations of time, even 2,000 years later. uh, He is setting aside males specifically to carry that title, pastor, elder, and with it, the, the authority. Now, my bigger issue is how it's been applied historically in conservative theological circles like the ones we come from, meaning conservative theologically. I don't think politically conservative, um, think theologically conservative, meaning we actually believe the Bible is the Word of God, that is inspired by God, that it's our final authority for belief in practice. I think, unfortunately, a lot of churches with a conservative theological understanding have misapplied in practice what Paul's intention was. In some cases, Women have not been able to lead in any capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women have not um, been able to teach in any capacity. And if they do teach, it only can be other women or maybe kids back in the Sunday school or vacation Bible school. I don't think that was Paul's intention at all. The issue here is one of authority. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leadership and authority are not the same thing. Uh, Women can lead on various levels uh, within the church structure. But Paul is very clear when they do lead or teach in some capacity from the platform is to be under authority, pastoral authority. So um, I do not believe it's a cultural issue. I think Paul is being very specific and very clear. But I also think it's been so misapplied that it's been misunderstood. In some cases, the application becomes just basic historic male chauvinism or sexism, where uh, women are literally to remain silent. Yep and learn in silence. Now, that comes from the end of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's getting ready in 1 Timothy 3 to give the qualifications of a pastor. Now, he says at the end, women are to learn in silence. But wait a minute, what's the context? The context is he's about to open up with the qualifications of a pastor. What he's saying is, uh, women as a pastor are to remain silent, meaning they cannot speak with the authority uh, of one carries as a pastor. But does Paul mean literally a woman can never say anything in church? Clearly not, because again, the Bible is self defining as you compare scripture to scripture. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul nowhere in 1 Corinthians 11 tells women they cannot teach, he says prophesy, which is preach. Prophecy is divine proclamation of God's revelation. Mm. He's saying you can't pray in a public assembly. First Corinthians 11, the context is the public assembly of the body. When the body of Christ assembles locally, Uh, he's saying, women, when you do pray, when you do prophesy or preach or teach or exegete the word of God, don't do it with your head uncovered. And he tells us what the woman's head is, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I'll have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So there you have the chain of command. You have God the Father, God the Son, the man, the woman. And in the same way, Jesus is not inferior to the Father. That would be heresy. Paul's not teaching the woman is inferior to the man. That, that, that would be a complete breakdown of the analogy he's making, the comparison he's making. What he's saying is men and women are equal as the father and son are equal, but they differ in function. We're equal, but we're not the same. And what he's teaching here is that as long as a man is submitted to his head, who is Christ, and the woman is submitted to her head, who is her husband, or uh, if she's single, her pastor specifically, uh, then the blessings of God can flow from heaven. And you're walking under that authority. Authority is not meant to oppress, it's meant to protect. And so uh, authority that feels like oppression is, is not; it's an abuse of authority. Uh, And unfortunately, there's been a lot of abuse of authority for many generations. It's true. In many capacities, pastoral authority, spiritual abuse, uh, you know, uh, husbands will use these verses as some type of way to browbeat their wife into submission. Uh, And that's nowhere what the Bible's teaching about male authority or pastoral authority. And uh, unfortunately, it's been misapplied that way many times, but uh, unfortunately, Heidi, there are short questions, no short answers. The, the short answer to summarize is I do believe that male specifically is what's in view for all time. It's a theological issue that God has set aside, pastor, and that title and authority comes with it for men. And if, in fact, we believe the Bible is our final authority and we're not letting the culture impose itself on the teaching of Scripture, then it says what it means, and it means what it says. Mm-hmm. And that's why we we don't ordain women at Abundant Life to be pastors. But we do allow women at Abundant Life to teach uh, or even preach in a public assembly of men and women, because regardless of what people's been taught historically, the Bible doesn't say women can't do that. In fact, uh, Heidi St. John has done it on more than one occasion. I hope she'll come back and do it again. <laughs>
0: Well, I'd love to be invited. There's really I mean, I have a few favorite places that I love to go and just be involved in ministry, and abundant life is one of them. I so appreciate that. this is this gives, I think uh, your your biblical perspective on this is bringing freedom, right? It brings freedom because we understand the spirit uh, of the Word of God, and we hear God's heart toward women. And I think you rightly pointed out that uh, unfortunately so much damage has been done to sisters in the Lord, women who God has given gifts to and their desire to serve the Lord. And then they take that gift to the church and it's just squashed. And I think sometimes in many ways, just squandered. And I love uh, this sound biblical uh, exegesis that you bring to this topic. We had another anonymous listener write in from the great state of Florida. And she wants to know what your biblical thoughts were and perspective on deliverance ministry and casting out demons from Christians. Wow, that's okay. a that there's a there's a hard stopper for you.
1: Let, let's let's talk about this. Uh, I've actually written two books um, about spiritual warfare.
0: Indeed, I'm coming, pretty sure I wrote the yeah, forward for one of them. You sure
1: did. <laughs> Fabulous, best forward ever, I might say. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, especially coming from a law enforcement background, there's so many parallels that I think God showed me in the 90s when I was a KC officer SWAT cop that I had no idea the way God was preparing for me for ministry when the mm-hmm. Apostle Paul would refer to the warfare spiritually, the warfare in the heavenlies. And uh, so um, Defeating the Enemy was the second book, Heidi. The first one was uh, the, I'm sorry, Defeating the Enemy was the first book on how the enemy tries to overcome us, hold us hostage, take us prisoner. Um and then The Weapons of Our Warfare, you wrote the forward to. That's a study of Ephesians 6, The Armor of God. Mm-hmm. And in the opening pages of that book, I actually share my personal experience casting out demons. Um, and I make this observation coming from my own background historically in conservative theological cir- uh, circles and churches that certainly would have believed in demons, certainly believed in the satanic, Uh, There was still a sense of um, they they might believe it theologically, but certainly don't believe it practically. Right. So it's what I call the wasp theology of Satan. Uh, When I was little and a wasp would fly by me, my mom would always say, don't bother it and it won't bother you. (laughs) Right. Just just don't look at it. Just act like it's Jay, not there. Jay
0: would wish that I would do that. You know, <laughs> Phil, a long time ago, we had a bee in the window. Big old bee, right? I think Jay and I had been married for just a few years, probably like 1991 or something. And I was like, don't worry, baby. I'll get it. Take out the broom. And I knocked the entire window out. I was like, bam. <laughs> Jay looked at me. and was like, well, you got it.
1: Something about that doesn't surprise me at all. Like You've been getting off the bench onto the battlefield a long time. Take that bee out. That's right. I took out the bee. I
0: took out the window. It was a little expensive, but we worked it out.
1: (laughs) So I was taught, on the other hand, oh, no, 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 don't don't go to war with that bee. Just look (laughs) the other way. Yeah. (laughs) Act like it's not there. Well, here's the point. It might work on a wasp. It doesn't work on Satan at all. No way. That's a terrible theology when it comes to Satan. Yet where I came from, that's kind of what it was. Don't mention Satan. Make no mention of him. Don't acknowledge him. Certainly don't study his moves and Mm -hmm. his mo and how he's trying to overcome you. Uh, But he's studying you. Absolutely, he is. Uh, He's a roaring lion. A lion is a predator. He studies his prey. He's Mm -hmm. stalking you slowly. Uh, And so the the point I'm making here is I think theologically, even those of us that are conservative, has sometimes been raised with this sense of, okay, it's true. We know there are demons. But practically speaking, we don't act like it. Mm. Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Oh, we quote it. Mm. Uh, We know that Paul wrote it. We believe it, but then we act like it's not true. No, what Mm. it says is we're wrestling with demons daily. Uh, And so I do believe in deliverance ministry. Uh, I never went looking for deliverance ministry. I didn't set out. It found me. Mm -hmm. And I share one of these experiences in this book. Now, here's the other extreme, though. Um, This can so quickly degenerate into what amounts to nothing more than a spiritual circus.
0: Yep. Well, we've seen that. I think that's what most people see.
1: That's the problem. I think Mm -hmm. the problem is people have been so jaded in Christianity With what amounts to the circus and the sensationalism, Mm -hmm. because there's so much of that out there in deliverance ministry that people just begin to write it completely off. Yeah. And so I would say there are two extremes that want to be avoided. One is you see a demon everywhere. Every time you're having a bad day, I'm being attacked by Satan uh and never maybe mind, you're
0: just maybe you're just being a jerk and you brought it on yourself exactly
1: <laughs> you know every time you have a sniffle, you're you know rebuking the demon of of colds. <laughs> I have a cold I mean, you just have a cold, aren't it? <laughs> I'm sorry uh you give Satan way too much
0: yeah
1: credit, way too much credit uh you know the demon is you no, know. so there's one extreme um where we want to rebuke the demon of of everything. Mm -hmm. but then the other extreme is you don't recognize the demonic at all Mm. and so i think uh as you grow spiritually have some maturity you don't get caught up in the sensationalism and guys i'm telling you um you can youtube and podcast this and podcast that and there are people on the internet is just it's just pure sensationalism. Mm-hmm. They, they know that it, it attracts attention and the more sensational it can be, the more attention I get for myself. Okay? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's not to recognize that every day we wrestle with the demonic. Uh, and a lot of Christians are held in what Paul called, called strongholds, a mm-hmm. demonic stronghold. Meaning Jesus comes to set you free. But then Satan comes to take the free back into captivity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, Christians fight just the symptoms of their sin without getting to the source of their sin. And you're dealing with something more than just a bad habit that you just can't kick. You're really dealing with something demonic, and you need to deal with both. Uh, and here's the point. As, a, as, as kingdom believers, we have the kingdom authority. Jesus has given it to us. He sent out the 70 in Luke 10, his disciples, and said, behold, I give you authority and power to cast out demons and trample on scorpions and all the power of the enemy. Um, We have the authority to do that. And so um, you don't need to be intimidated by Satan. You don't need to be scared of him, but you better take him seriously uh, and understand what it means to put on the full armor of God every single day.
0: How would a person know? So I I guarantee there are people listening to this right now who are like, well, how would I know? Like, how how would I know what to pray about? Uh, I had a question come in a couple of weeks ago from a person who said, you know, do I actually mention, do I say, Satan, I rebuke you? Do I speak to him? Does speaking to him give him power? The other question that came in sort of the flip side of that was, can a Christian actually be inhabited by a demon, by an evil spirit?
1: Yeah, I don't think a Christian can be possessed by a demon. You're possessed by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit that's Romans right. 8, 9, he that has not the Spirit of God is none of his. So when you receive the Son of God, you also receive the Spirit of God, or you didn't receive the Son. That's what mm-hmm. Paul is teaching there in Romans 8, 9. Mm-hmm. So the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you permanently, Ephesians four thirty. Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Our our sin can grieve God's spirit. It doesn't break the seal of God's spirit. It's not us holding on to God. It's God who's hanging on to us. Mm, He seals our salvation. The spirit of God lives in us permanently uh, and has an all believer since the day of Pentecost. So can a true born again believer be possessed of a demon? I don't believe so, but it absolutely can be oppressed.
0: Yes. So explain the difference. Uh, Explain the difference.
1: Demonic possession is when a demon has. now lives inside of your body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're literally controlling your body um, for their own. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced this 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 happens, and, and, it, and it comes to different forms and fashions. If you were to go to a, 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 a tribal area, let's say, of Papua New Guinea or places in Africa, you would see clear demonic possession. Haiti, yeah. Uh, 100% Haiti. And some of our men went on a trip, mission trip to... Africa several years ago, having a revival meeting, literally watches a woman slither up a pole on her back, not frontward, backward, okay? Uh, You won't see that in the United States. You won't see that in Western civilization. Why? Because Satan changes his tactics. He comes Mm -hmm. in many disguises. He wears many masks. So, in places that are less sophisticated, less educated, he comes as a roaring lion. It's through intimidation and fear. Fear of the Spirit. Here, he doesn't come as a roaring lion. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, what? Paul said, beware that you're not deceived like Eve was deceived at the tree. For Satan himself transforms himself as what? An angel of light. What he does with as an angel of light, here he is, the ruler of darkness, but he comes in disguise as angel of light. Here in the West, he wants to come without being perceived. It's infiltration, it's deception, it's distortion. The last thing he wants to do is scare you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He wants you to think he's not there. So I think we meet demonically possessed people all the time, Heidi. We just don't recognize it because Mm -hmm. they don't act like we think they should because we've all been, you know, moved in our thinking by Hollywood and the exorcist and what this right, looks right. like. We're, looking, we're possession. looking for some, uh,
0: you know, neck spinning people, counterclockwise on your exactly. neck. Exactly.
1: They're functioning yeah. apparently just fine. They might be mm-hmm. high end professionals, right? But they have the spirit of antichrist. We can't figure out why they hate us.
0: Yeah.
1: The reason right, they right. hate us is they got a different spirit in them than they, they do in us. Mm-hmm. Well, right? and you're
0: absolutely right. Like you, you just rightly pointed out. I mean, this has been a very slow, but steady infiltration into the church if you turn just right uh, on Mill Plain, down the street from the Homeschool Resource Center, there's a very prominent church on one of the biggest streets in Vancouver, and the entire front yard is a billboard about how God loves uh, everyone. God loves the trans person, which He does, right? God loves the person who's living in homosexual sin. God loves the transgender. Like they're flying the transgender flag. You know, uh, God doesn't hate. God loves. We've seen these sort of um confusing messages where people think, well, then that must be Jesus. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's a Jesus that's made in your own image in the image of progressive Christianity. Yeah, And this is where we see such a such a uh, a challenge for especially young believers trying to navigate uh, all the issues we're facing today right before we started recording. You and I were talking. About the He Gets Us campaign, and this is a great place to touch on this uh, as we wrap up this end of the segment today. Phil, talk to us about this because there's a lot of confusion in the church right now uh, that kind of comes back to what I call sort of a sloppy agape. You know, this we're 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 dancing around the gospel, but we're not sharing the gospel. Tell us a little bit about your take on the He Gets Us campaign.
1: Yeah, so I know some of the people on the inside personally. Uh, the inner circle behind the He Gets This campaign. I know their intention. They are not uh, leftist progressive Christians trying to promote a leftist progressive form of Christianity, the social justice war of Jesus. That's not really the intent. The intent of this half a billion dollar ad campaign is Woo! to get complete pagan Americans that don't know anything about Jesus at least asking questions about Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? So, yeah. The nature of these ads is not to answer all the questions about Jesus. It's to get people to ask questions about him, but not answer those questions. And so what they're doing is they're making incomplete statements. They're not necessarily unbiblical statements or untrue statements. The one I, we, we saw uh, played recently with uh, the Super Bowl is not unbiblical. It's a true statement. Jesus mm-hmm. did not preach hate. Mm-hmm. Instead, he right. washed people's feet. Yeah. 100% true. So it's meant to get people that don't know anything about Jesus asking more questions. And then if they'll go to the website, click on that link, uh, hopefully that link will take them to where they want to know more about Jesus. They click on another link. Eventually, they click on a link that will take them uh, to the website of a local church in their area where they can ask a question about who is Jesus. We actually, for the last year's Super Bowl, were one of those churches out of thousands that was prepared to take some inquiries about Jesus during the Super Bowl. And we took a few that week, not that many. Uh, and so, Which is
0: amazing when you consider how large of an audience uh, that that yeah. ad was played for. And
1: it makes me wonder just how effective it really is. Because mm-hmm. we we were a part of that and we didn't get, we got some, but not a lot. And, and the ones we did get, uh, sometimes it was, uh, hey, I need help paying my utility bill. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. the real inquiry, okay? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's probably not as nefarious as a lot of your viewers might think it is, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know the people behind it. I know the heart behind it. I know the reason they're doing what they've done, making these kind of incomplete statements ambiguous. It's meant to pique the, the curiosity for an unbeliever, make them want to know more. Okay, um, I think it's a fair criticism, though, Heidi, personally. That when you have an audience of a hundred million people, no this Super Bowl was the <laughs> right. the most watched Super Bowl in Super Bowl history. I You've mean, got a...
0: thank you, Taylor Swift.
1: <laughs> no <Yeah>.
0: kidding. <laughs> it was a Swifty what? Bowl.
1: You mean it's not all about <laughs> Patrick Mahomes?
0: What? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um <laughs> But here, here's the point. I, I think it's when I mean, you're spending a half a billion dollars and you spent. Share the gospel. Millions millions of dollars on that super, man, just share the gospel. Come on. Make it clear. This may be our only chance to put it in front of people. Mm -hmm. That'd be where I feel like uh, I've been disappointed. If I'm disappointed at all, I am disappointed that the gospel hasn't been more clearly displayed and clearly shared Mm -hmm. uh, along the way.
0: Well, it it isn't even, uh, I mean, my staff was looking at it this morning. And they're saying, look, it's not even on the website. No one can even find it on the website. There's no like clear, like, this is the message of the gospel. Here's why you need it. You know, yeah. Nothing about sin, nothing about really nothing. It was just this sort of, isn't this sweet? Jesus doesn't hate you. I, I
1: think that's a mess. I do. Yeah. I think it's a huge mess. I think that a lot of people will take that first step, maybe even click. Hmm, mm-hmm. let me go to that website, find out more about this. Who's and they behind still don't this. get the gospel. And they still don't get the gospel. I just yeah. think that's a huge miss, Heidi. I really do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to what you were saying at the at the onset of the show today, which is we have a generation of people who are literally, they're asking now. They're seeking, they're looking. We need to be ready for to give an answer, right? Isn't this the command of every Christian to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that yeah. lies within us? So we need to give the answer. Not more yeah. questions. Let's start giving yeah. answers.
1: Because what, what they end up with, even if they make that first click, they still don't know who Jesus is. Yes. They end up thinking, well, Jesus was just an awesome guy. Yeah. He was He's just great. an awesome dude. He didn't dude. hate people. Yeah. He didn't hate people. He washed people's feet. Uh, yeah. And it presents him, he was a man. That's not a, that's not an unbiblical statement. He was a man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he was much more than a man. And I think they, they have to learn eventually. And in this case, quickly, because we all know how social media works, Boy, you don't get forever with people. No. You, you might get them for 10 seconds. When they click, you better have something that makes them want to click again really quick or you, you get the message in front of really quick because you get 10, 20 seconds and they're moving on to something else. Then.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky to get, I mean, 30 seconds is what they tell you on uh, like Instagram or TikTok. These guys are, I mean, 30 seconds. We don't, we don't have the uh, attention span of a gnat anymore. And so if that's the case, we better get the message uh, through quickly. Listen, we're out of time for the regular show. Phil's going to come back for happy hour, and we're going to be talking about something really important, and that is the teaching, the the biblical teaching on hell. There are a lot of evangelical Christians right now who have abandoned this teaching. We're seeing it more and more uh, in the church in the form of so-called Christian universalism. This is a question that comes up quite a bit. So we're going to be talking about that, and wherever else the Holy Spirit takes us, In happy hour, Phil Hopper, you are a national treasure, a dear friend to me. I so appreciate your counsel. Thank you for coming on uh, the regular show today. I really appreciate it.
1: So thankful. Love you much. God bless.
0: For more information on my guest today, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. I will link back to the ministry of Pastor Phil Hopper and the wonderful things they're doing at Abundant Life Church out of Lee Summit, Missouri. You guys check it out. Uh, I know you're going to be blessed. For those of you who are subscribed to the show, stick around. Phil's coming back for happy hour. We're going to have ourselves a hoot and holler and good time and continue talking about some of the issues of today that I really think we need to start wrestling our way through. The Bible says that we should be prepared, ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. You guys know we live in, we live in incredible times right now in a generation of biblically illiterate Christians, people who claim the name of Jesus but who don't know his word and can't defend it. That is why I've asked Pastor Phil to come on the show regularly with me. We would love to hear from you. You guys can reach out to us, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday is where you can submit that question and you will find a tab there for Ask the Pastor. That's where you guys can submit those questions and we're gonna be getting to them regularly. You guys, we love you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting it. I'll see you right back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.